Well, we are going to start this morning a three-part series, just looking at, at the story of Joseph uh, being our guide uh, as we dig into uh, just the whole idea of living God's dream uh, for my life. And to get started, let me just start with a kind of a legendary story uh, told in various forms through the years. Uh, it was about a pro golfer who was invited to uh, be the guest of, uh, of a wealthy king of one of the Arab nations. And as he came to play these rounds of golf and to, to give some instruction and all of that uh, sort of thing, they just uh, had, a, had a little bonding relationship there. And, and as he was departing, the, the king was just so, uh, so taken by their time together that he said, he said, you know, I really want to give you a gift. What gift could I give to you? And the pro golfer, you know, he thought, well, I don't really need anything. I mean, this has been enjoyable and all, but he just kind of as a lark, he said, well, you know, I, I do collect kind of, you know, old golf clubs. You know, I just kind of have a, a little collection of those. And, and if you want to get me something like that, that would, be, that would be so great. Thank you very much. And he went back home and went back about his business, didn't really think a whole lot about it. And, uh, and then he, uh, a few weeks later, got this uh, official-looking envelope in the mail. And he was a little surprised because he thought, well, I thought maybe I'd get a package in the mail, you know, a little FedEx or something with an ancient golf club in it or whatever it might be. But he opened up the official-looking envelope, and as he began to read through it, his jaw dropped, and he couldn't believe what he was seeing because the king had sent him a deed to an 18-hole golf club. Uh, <laughs> now, the moral of the legendary story is kings think different than you and I, right? They think different than you and I. And while that's a legendary story, it's true that we serve the king of kings and lord of lords, right? And he thinks differently than you and I. He thinks differently about the world. He thinks differently about our life and our purpose in it. A.W. Tozier put it this way, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we, on, we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. Wow. Because kings think differently than you and I do. God is looking for some men and women who were willing to say yes to his dream for their life, even if it's radically different than their dream, even if it seems at first glance to be impossible, or maybe it doesn't seem to be significant enough, but you just don't even see yet how God is going to use it. And so what we want to talk about over these next few weeks, using Joseph as our, as our example and our guide, is how do I live God's dream for my life. And kind of the first thing I want us to see in this first message is that God knows how to prepare us for what he's preparing for us. God knows how to prepare us for what he is preparing for us. So whatever God's dream is for your life, he knows how to get you ready for that. Now, the way that he does that may take you by surprise, may not even seem to be very uh, efficient at times, but God knows. God knows how to prepare us for what he is preparing for us. And so I want us to look at the story of Joseph. 
And Joseph's story has, has been called a, a, a play in four acts, each with a uh, different wardrobe change, right? He was a son with a multicolored coat. And then he was stripped of that and had tattered slaves' clothing. And then he became dressed in prison garb as he spent time in prison. And then in the fourth act, he became a prince, endued with a wardrobe of power and prestige. Four acts, four different wardrobes. And yet, even as we follow the story of Joseph, I want to remind you that while Joseph in, the, in these last few chapters of Genesis is the, is the primary human actor, it's God's story. It's God's story. God is the one who is at work, and he has Joseph to play a significant role. It is God who is at work in our world, and he invites you and I to join him in that work. But he knows how to get us ready. He knows how to prepare us for what he is preparing for us. So if you will, just find in your Bible that first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and we're going to start in chapter 37, and we want to just, just look at God's preparation process this morning, God's preparation process for living God's dream for my life. And it begins with receiving the dream. It begins with receiving the dream. And, and if you just tune in there to chapter 37, it tells us a little bit about, about Jacob and, and, and the sons that he had, and, and one of those being Joseph. And let's just pick it up in verse 5. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you and his brothers were jealous of him but his father kept the saying in mind now as we talk about receiving the dream maybe you're saying well I've had some dreams sometimes when I sleep but they're sometimes really nonsensical and I don't know that that's exactly how God speaks and I'm going to say he doesn't always speak that way but he still does speak that way in fact, is if you were here last Sunday night as we gathered together uh, in this place for, for, for prayer and praise, you heard a powerful testimony uh, of God speaking through a dream. And God is still at work and still uh, works in so many ways. But sometimes we receive a dream as a burden. Uh, sometimes it's, it's an opportunity that's placed before us. 
Sometimes it's, it's something that God quickens from the reading of His Word and it ignites something in our heart and head. Sometimes it's just a, a, a passion that he, he births in us along the way. There are a lot of different ways that God uh, may bring a dream uh, to life in us. But it always begins with receiving the dream. Not me thinking up something I want God to do for me, but God, what is it that I can do to be a part of your story? But I want you to notice the different reactions to this dream. Uh, because it's important to note that even as God maybe births a dream in your heart and mind and life, uh, that there are going to be a lot of different reactions to it. Joseph shared the dream. He shared the dream. Now, we might look at him in his youth and perhaps inexperience and say, I'm not sure that was the wisest thing to do. Uh, right after you have this dream, to tell it to your brothers, to tell it to your family, because we'll see their reaction here. It's not necessarily a positive one. Sometimes dreams have to be shepherd. Compare that with Nehemiah, who we studied uh, a while back. Nehemiah, God birthed a dream in his heart and mind about rebuilding the walls, but he didn't tell anybody about it at first. He spent time marinating in it, praying, seeking the Lord. And even after he made his move to Jerusalem, he went out at night and he surveyed the walls and he still hadn't told people there anything about it yet it's important to share a dream but we also need God's wisdom to know when to share that dream because dreams can be fragile things can't they particularly in the early stages kind of like a, a newborn baby <laughs> it needs a lot of protection and a lot of care and you just kind of have to be careful who you hand that off to right and sometimes we have to not only receive the dream, but God's wisdom to know who to share it with and when to share it with them. But there is a time we have to share the dream because if it's God's dream, it's just going to, it's going to be bigger than us. It's going to involve more people than just us. But don't be surprised that when you share the dream, even if you do it in God's perfect timing, that not everybody is as excited about it as you are. In fact, is Jacob, his father, rebuked the dream. Did you notice that there at the end of the reading there? That he, his father, in verse 10, rebuked him. He rebuked him. You may have folks that as you begin to see God's dream birthed in your life, as you begin to understand this passion, this burden that God has placed upon you, that some are, are going to rebuke it. Some are going to say, it's stupid, it's impossible. Who do you think you are? And all of those things. And there will be a rebuking. There has always been a rebuking of God's dream because after all, we have an enemy who doesn't want to ever see God's dream come to pass, does he? And of course, he's going to try to discourage along the way. Jacob rebuked the dream. His brothers hated the dreamer. They hated the dreamer. And again, you see that repeated again and again in those verses. Verse 4, they hated him even uh, more. Uh, they hated him in verse 4. They hated him even more in verse 5. And, and again in verse 8 and again in verse 11. And don't be surprised that sometimes as God births a dream, sometimes we think, was well, God directing me in this? Everybody's going to be excited, right? No, 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 no. They won't. He received the dream. But then comes this next step in the preparation process. And it's so important to understand this is inevitably part of God's preparation process. And that is the testing of the dream. The testing of the dream. Because as we said, Satan is going to oppose God's dream. 
And so there will be tests that will come, and God will, will actually use those tests to prepare you as the receiver of that dream. There are at least three tests that we encounter on a regular basis when it comes to living out God's dream. The first is the test of denial. The test of denial. That you hear this, that he gets rebuked for this dream. His brothers uh, hate him. In fact, is they, they, they call him the dreamer, and they're not saying that in, in, with loving terms, right? It's, it's kind of a, a put down in his life. And we have to understand that there, there will be folks around who will deny it. They, they'll, they'll whisper to you, that's not God's dream for your life. Who do you think you are? And there's perhaps a lot of reasons for that. Some people don't want you to have a dream because they don't have a dream. Because they were too afraid to step out. Because they were too fearful. Sometimes people deny a dream because of disappointment. Because maybe they had a dream and that dream didn't come together. In fact, sometimes our dreams become nightmares, don't they? And sometimes out of our pain and our hurt and our disappointment, we kind of lose the capacity to dream again. And we not only deny God has a dream for our life, but we want to deny that God may have a dream for somebody else's life along the way. There's the test of denial. Joseph experienced it. And then there's the test of doubt. The test of doubt there's this, there's this hatred and there's, there's this rebuke that's coming at him. And as, you, as many of you are familiar with the story, as, as there's twists and turns, as he's sold into slavery and he's falsely imprisoned and all of these things. And, and as I've reread the story of Joseph, I've just found myself wondering how many times, how many times along the way did Joseph doubt the dream? <laughs> Because when you've been thrown in the pit, it doesn't look like <laughs> the dream's coming true. When your brothers hate you and sell you into slavery, and you're going off to a land of people you don't know in a language you don't understand, you begin to wonder, is that really a God's dream? Maybe in some lonely nights in a prison cell, when you feel like instead of going up, <laughs> you've been in an elevator that only went down, you begin to doubt. I wonder along the way how many times Joseph doubted the God-given dream. How many times have you doubted that God has a purpose and a plan for your life? How many times have you doubted that God could do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask, think, or imagine through your life. When life beats us up, it's pretty easy to doubt, isn't it? It's pretty easy to doubt. The test of denial, there's the test of doubt, and ultimately, there's this test of destruction. There's this test of destruction, and as you, you just kind of follow the 
the narrative now and in verse 12 his 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 brothers are out in the pasture and and his father sends Joseph and Joseph has been somewhat the favored son he even has a a, a coat of many colors that kind of displays his his favored status and and as he's tracking down his brothers verse 18 they saw him from afar and before he came near to them they conspired against him to kill him and they said to one another here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we'll say a fierce animal had devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. And as you follow the narrative, Reuben intervenes and says, let's not take his life and let's not shed blood. They throw him into the pit, and, and ultimately uh, the, the brothers uh, decide that they, they ought to at least make some money. In verse 25, they sit down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of the Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And then Judah, isn't it interesting it was Judah, <laughs> the tribe that... Jesus would come from. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him and the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And in that moment, it seems like the dream is dead. That it's been absolutely destroyed. And maybe you're at one of those junctures in your life where the dream feels destroyed beyond resurrection. And in that moment, maybe you wonder... (laughs) Is there a God? (laughs) Was this really his dream? You see, tests provide answers. And one of the major questions that these tests provide, one of the major questions I should tell you is, whose dream is it really? Whose dream is this really? Was it my dream or was it God's dream? And God will sometimes take us through testing to refine not only the dreamer, but to refine the dream and to to allow us to hone in on what really is his dream for our life. Kenneth Olber told a story one time of his experience in college, and he had had written a a paper, and he was quite, quite proud of it. And he turned it in, and he, he, he got it back, and he began to read some of the, uh, the remarks on the front, and it said, good research, good writing, good paper, F. <laughs> what? <laughs> good research, good writing, good paper, F? And then he read the next line, this was not the assignment. <laughs> Could it be that what God does through the testing is to remind us that what we were chasing really wasn't the assignment? That he has another dream, a different dream, a God-sized dream for our life. 
with three tests come three answers. The answer to the test of denial is commitment, that I I have to express anew and afresh a a faith in God and His dream for my life. I have to to come back and just just remind myself of the God who is there and and the God who is with me and the God who is at work and my, my complete trust and surrender to Him and to His dream for my life. And so always when there is denial, I have to answer that with commitment. When there is doubt, I have to come back with God's Word, with God's Word to what it is that God has said to me. See, God's Word will confirm the dream or it will correct the dream. And so we come back to God's Word. And we always take whatever we feel like God's birthing in as a dream, and we have to bring it back to God's Word. And it says, does it pass the test of Scripture? Because God will never give us a dream that is contrary to the Word of God. And so we come back to God's Word and allow Him to, to, to redirect the dream or refine the dream or confirm the dream along the way, and we let it pass the test of Scripture. But when it feels like the dream has been destructed. The answer is perseverance. The answer is a a perseverance that we keep showing up. We we keep working. We, We continue to pursue God's dream because we begin to recognize that God's dreams usually take time to fulfill. Very often, God has to do a lot of work in us to prepare us for what He is preparing for us along the way. Perseverance is key in pursuing almost any dream. Many authors could tell us that, couldn't they? Maybe you've heard of the author named Theodore. He was 33 years old when he wrote his first book. Now, that's not old by any means, but he might have been feeling quite a bit older when 23 different publishers rejected his manuscript. 23 times. 23 different individuals and groups told him no. But Theodore believed in the dream, and he kept persevering, and he didn't give up. He finally found a publisher willing to take a chance on that book. And the book ended up being such a huge success that Theodore went on to write 46 more bestsellers before he died at the age of 87. His books have been translated in more than 18 languages and sold more than 100 million copies across the world. You say you've never heard of Theodore. Well, perhaps you're more acquainted with his pen name, Dr. Seuss. (laughs) And that first book that 23 publishers rejected, and to think I saw it on Mulberry Street. (laughs) There would have been a missing part in a lot of our childhoods (laughs) if Theodore hadn't persevered. And I could go on and on and talk to you about Robert Frost, who was rejected over and over again. In fact, as the Atlantic Monthly sent him a note that said, it has no room for your vigorous verse. (laughs) John Grissom, 
A lawyer working sometimes 50, 60 more hours a week was, would get up in the wee hours of the morning and he would write on a, on a, on a legal pad and he would begin to write these, these novels and he was rejected 25 different times. But he kept getting up and he kept writing when he had the flu and when he had overbearing caseloads and we had all of these things until somebody finally gave him a chance. If you're going to pursue God's dream, sometimes in a microwave generation, we think it ought to come fast and it ought to come easy. God's dreams usually take time, and they have to pass the test, and they have to be met with commitment, with a radical reorientation to God's Word, and with a willingness to persevere, even perhaps when people would call you foolish. Now, I want you to note just a couple things as we continue with Joseph's story. And that is, Joseph's location developed his capacity. Joseph's location developed his capacity. I want you to think about it for a moment. There were, there were things that, that would not have been developed, skills he would not have perhaps ever had a chance to explore and exercise if he remained the favored son under, in his daddy's house. It was only when God got him into a different location that some capacities, some abilities could be explored, could be discovered, could be developed along the way. Joseph's location developed his capacity. It could be that in order for you to fulfill God's dream, you're going to have to be in a different place. He's going to have to shift some things in your life because your location is going to help to develop your capacity. But I want you to know one other thing. Joseph's lowliness developed his character. Now, you got to think, if you're the favored son who gets to wear the multicolored coat, that humility is probably not a big part of your repertoire, right? There were probably character qualities that God knew Joseph was going to need to fulfill his, God's dream for his life that he wasn't going to get in his daddy's house. He wasn't going to get on the fast track. He wasn't going to get while somebody opened doors for him. In his lowliness, in his slavery, in his unjust imprisonment, God developed his character. See, sometimes we think the dream don't come fast, it's not coming. If it appears to be destroyed, it's never going to happen. It could very well be that God has you right there to develop your capacity and to develop your character. You see, before God honors, he humbles <laughs> Before God honors, he humbles. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Now, I want you to hear something here. Uh, yes, God sometimes humbles us because of, of something in our past, uh, but, but sometimes we, we need to understand that's not always the case. In fact, is God's humbling of a person is not necessarily a reflection of their past as much as it is a requirement for their future. 
That there is something that God is getting ready to do because God knows how to prepare you for what he is preparing for you. And humility is going to be a a pathway toward that. And it's not because of maybe something you've done in the past. It's for something that God is getting ready for you in the future. And he's going to have to humble you to get you to the point where you can fulfill his dream for your life. It's not about punishment for the past. It's about preparation for the future. Sometimes we we, we beat ourselves up, right? Well, why did this happen? Why is this? Why am I going through this hardship? And, And we start looking back. And if we don't do it, somebody's doing it for us, right? Well, there must be something deep, dark, hidden in their past. That's why all this horrible stuff's happening. Maybe not. It could very well be that God's getting them ready for the next step. That God is preparing them for what he has prepared for them. There is the testing of the dream. There's the receiving of the dream. But perhaps the greatest test of all is the test of waiting. And that's the third thing we're going to look at this morning, waiting for the dream. That we wait for the dream. Verse, chapter 38 is kind of a, a, a sidebar, a little, a little soap opera encounter between Judah and Tamar. And then chapter 39 picks up the, the story of, of Joseph again in, in Egypt. And as we, as we begin to, to focus on that, we, we find perhaps a story that's familiar. And we won't take time to read all of those verses uh, this morning. But, but Joseph sold into slavery is serving in, in Potiphar's house, an official of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard of the Egyptians. And while there, Pharaoh's wife takes notice of him. And she, she, she wants, wants him uh, in, a, in, a, in an inappropriate way. And Joseph again and again and again says no. And perhaps uh, not used to not getting what she wants when she wants it. Finally, uh, she figures out if he's not going to do what I want him to do, then he's going to pay. And so one time she grabs his coat and then cries out a false accusation. And Joseph, though absolutely innocent of the charges, Joseph, who actually did everything right, (laughs) ends up thrown in prison. And he seems further away from the dream than ever. There are times that we're going to find ourselves waiting for the dream because God's dreams take time. So what do you do when you're waiting for the dream? What do you do? Well, let me suggest to you a few things. First of all, you live the dream. You live the dream to to the capacity that you have before you right here, right now. Even if you can't fully see it yet, you begin to live the dream. And as he begins to to live out of that, this leadership uh, thing that he kind of had this vision for, he begins to live that out. And so he he finds himself, and there's three quick pictures here. He finds himself leading in slaves' clothing. He's leading in slaves' clothing. Now, that's not exactly how he, he he saw the dream, but he said, I'm going I'm to be who God's called me to be and do what God's called me to do, even in this situation, even in this circumstance. It's not ideal. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I thought the dream was going to look like, but I'm going to live it out right here, right now, because this is the only right here, right now I have. And so you live the dream. He begins to lead in slaves' clothing. 
and he works in Egypt. Sometimes when we think about, about waiting, we feel like we're, well, let me just go back here, sit and twiddle my thumbs. No, 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 no. You, you keep showing up. You keep being faithful. You're faithful where you are, even if it's not where you want to be. And my guess is if we took a poll right now, some of us would say, I'm not exactly where I wanted to be. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want to be in this season of life. I didn't want to have to be facing this. I didn't want to have to be dealing with this. This wasn't my dream. But can you still choose to keep working and show up and be faithful to God right where you are, even if it's not where you wanted to be? He worked in Egypt, and he succeeded in Potiphar's house. He succeeded in Potiphar's house. Now, now here's the thing. The Scripture says that, that, that God gave him success. <laughs> But who was the beneficiary of that success? Potiphar. (laughs) His household was better. And it would appear on first glance as you read through that chapter that that Joseph didn't benefit at all. Right? And it may very well be that if you are faithful and you're doing what God wants you to do in circumstances that you didn't like or didn't sign up for, that you may feel like actually other people seem to be benefiting more than me. But you come back and say, God, I'm trusting that you're at work. I'm trusting that you're with me. I'm trusting that as I keep being who you created me to be and doing what you called me to do, that in time and on time, you're going to fulfill the dream. You succeed. You live the dream right where you are and then you resist temptation you resist the temptation we're going to take a deep dive on this next week so I'm just going to spend just a few moments here but waiting is filled with times of temptation because when you're waiting and you feel like you're doing the right thing and getting the wrong results when you feel like you're doing the work and somebody else is getting the benefit in those moments in those moments You begin to kind of rationalize and justify, well, I deserve. I deserve a break. I deserve a shortcut. I deserve to kind of skirt the rules just this once because after all, look at all that I've been through. After all, it is a long time and still it doesn't seem like God's come through. After all, what has God done for me lately, right? And waiting can oftentimes be times of increased temptation. And in the midst of that, let me just give you three things. And again, we'll take a deep dive on this next week. Stay busy in the master's business. Listen, when you're in the middle of a waiting period, don't stop doing God's will. And don't take your eyes off of what God's called you to do because when you take your eyes off what God's going to do, you're going to focus more and more and more on the shortcuts, on the side trips, on the temptations along the way. And tell the temptation the truth. Tell the temptation the truth. So when, when, when the, the, the wife keeps coming constantly again and again and again to Joseph, in verse 9 he says, He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against 
God. He just comes back and says, let me speak to you the truth. You're whispering all these lies. You're, you're, you're giving all of these invitations. You're, you're offering me all these things. But in the midst of that, tell the temptation the truth and then consider the consequences. Consider the consequences. Now, sometimes we have such short-term vision. You say, what will give me pleasure in the moment? What will relieve some pain in the moment? What will make me feel better for the moment? And we don't consider the consequences. I remember some advice that uh, Randy Alcorn gave years and years ago for men. He said, just get alone with the Lord sometime and sit down and start making a list of all the consequences if you had an affair. He said, just start writing them out. What would be the impact of that on your family? What would be the impact of that in your relationships and your credibility? What would that be the impact of that in your walk with God? Well, and you start just listing these consequences because the enemy is going to tell you, nah. we need to come back and consider the consequences. Consider the consequences. What do you do when you're waiting? You live the dream. You resist the temptation. Consider the consequences. Play the movie out. And then survive the setbacks. Survive the setbacks. So as you come uh, to verse 20 there in chapter 39, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Now that, that seems like perhaps the ultimate setback. I, I got sold into slavery by my brothers. I, I, I finally am doing the right thing and, and I'm being successful and I end up getting thrown in prison for resisting temptation and it seems like setback after setback after setback. Now please hear me, there's a difference between solving the setback and surviving the setback. You may not understand this side of eternity why God had you there fully. Why you kept pushing the up button and the elevator kept going down. <laughs> you may not ever fully understand the setback. This isn't about solving the setback. Some of us get stuck there because we just say, well, I got to solve it. I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. It's not about solving the setback. It's about surviving the setback. It's about continuing to be there, continuing to, to remind yourself of the God who is with you and continually choosing to be with God. I don't understand it. I don't like it. There are things that are unfair. They're unjust. I'm going to do everything that I can do, but I may not fully understand it, but God, by your strength, I can survive it. And there's a couple things that helped Joseph to survive the setback, and it'll help you and I. Two key truths. It's repeated again and again and again in this section of Genesis. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. So when he's sold into slavery, the, the, the scripture tells us he brought him to down the Ishmaelites brought him down to Egypt. Verse two and chapter thirty nine says the Lord was with Joseph. 
The Lord was with Joseph. Now, he may not have felt it. It may not have looked like it to all the talking heads that might have served commentary on it. But the Lord was with Joseph as a slave. The Lord was with Joseph as a prisoner. So he's thrown into prison there in verse 20. And verse 21 reminds us right after that, but the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him. There are two key truths. If I'm going to survive the setbacks, the Lord was with Joseph. I have to remind myself, the Lord is still with me. But there's something equally as significant from a human point of view, and that is the fact that Joseph was with the Lord. Joseph was with the Lord. Now, it may not have recorded great articulations of praise. We don't have a record of him singing hymns in the prison. (laughs) But you see through the march of his life, you see from his capacity to survive the setback that he was with the Lord. Whether he was a son or a slave, whether he was in the pit or in prison, the Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph was with the Lord. Now, a couple of statements, and then one key question I would just encourage you to ask yourself every single day. The two observations are this. You'll never find a place where the Lord will not be with you. Even where you're at right now. Even if it feels like the pit. Even if it feels like the prison, even if it feels like the dream has been destroyed, there will never, ever, 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 ever be a place where the Lord will not be with you. The second truth is you'll never discover a place where faithfulness is impossible. Sometimes we excuse ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we slip into victim mentality. Well, after all, after all I've been through, after all that's happened, after the unjust and unfair treatment, after other people prospering instead of me, What's the point of being faithful? After all, if, if you had happened to you what's happened to me, you wouldn't be faithful either. You'll never discover a place where the Lord will not be with you and where faithfulness is impossible. Yes, right where you are right now, faithfulness is possible. And so here's the key question. I want to encourage you. It's not original with me. I've read it before. But it's one that's helped me countless times in my life, and I hope it'll help you as well. The key question is this. What would someone in my circumstances do who was absolutely convinced that God was with them? I guarantee you that if you will ask that question on a regular basis, it will reframe how you approach life, how you look at life, how you handle life. What would someone in my circumstances do who was absolutely convinced that God was with them? 
When you get that promotion that you didn't expect, what would someone in my circumstance do who was absolutely convinced that God was with them? When you experience that pain that you never thought you would have to endure in your life, what would someone in my circumstances do who is absolutely convinced that God was with them? When you lose that job that you thought was going to be your security, what would someone in my circumstances do who is absolutely convinced that God was with them? When you are rejected by that person that you thought would never reject you, what would someone in my circumstances do who is absolutely convinced that God was with them? When the medical report comes back and the news is shocking and earth-shattering and your life is never going to be the same again, what would someone in my circumstances do who is absolutely convinced that God was with them? I guarantee you that if you will ask that question, over and over again in the various situations and circumstances of your life, it will change you and it will change the way that you handle this thing called life. And it will move you forward in fulfilling God's dream for your life. Because God knows how to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. Let's go to him together in prayer, please. All Father... Thank you that you are the God who is with us, that you are Emmanuel. And Father, this side of the cross, we know so much more than Joseph did. We, we know Romans 8 reminds us that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Father, we know that the Lord is with us, that the Lord is for us, that the Lord is, is, is working around us and is working within us. And Father, I just, I pray for the strength. I pray for the capacity. I pray for the wisdom to be able to live every single day of our lives confident of the fact that the Lord is with us. And Lord, in whatever our circumstances are this day, whatever is coming at us this week, would you help us to not only remind ourselves that you're with us, but you, would you help us to choose to be with you? I'm just going to ask you to take the next couple of moments just to be still before the Lord.